trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, hello, and welcome to the show. Our program is brought to you today by Landmark Risk Management and Insurance, as well as Alta Bank. And it's a Tuesday, so I am happy to welcome my friend Eric Peters from epautos.com. Hello, Eric. Hey, Brian. How's it going this morning? You know, it's going as well as could be expected under the circumstances. And I I mentioned before we jumped on the air here, we have a lot to discuss. I'm just going to ask you, dive in wherever you think it's appropriate uh, to comment on the passing scene. Do you remember, I guess it was probably going back a year, and it might be longer than that, uh, when they went after Alex Jones, the you know the guy who's a little bit of a kooky right-wing guy and has this kind of kooky InfoWars website? And people were, were sort of, ah, no big deal. He's right. fringe. He's crazy. Don't have to worry about it. Uh, and in particular, Trump did nothing uh, about the assault on the free speech of Alex Jones. And now Trump has been Alex Joned. And because Alex, because of that, uh, it is implicit that all of us are now subject to being Alex Jones, which means basically if you're a wrong thinker, and which means if you deviate from any of the orthodoxies of the politically correct, rancid, rabbitized left, uh, you're a heretic and an apostate, and you have to be silenced. And I expect fully that the next step after they attempt to silence people will be to punish and prosecute them criminally. We're already seeing talk in D.C. about uh, framing us, that is, people who disagree with any of these narratives, as domestic extremists, as inciters of violence. Uh, And, uh, you know, you can just see where all of this is trending, and it's quite, quite alarming. I have to ask you, you know, the... The thing at the Capitol, I won't call it a riot, mm-hmm. even though there was some, some violence and rowdiness there. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to buy into the narrative the media is pushing. There was a riot where a police officer was murdered. I think they're exaggerating, yeah. and they know it. But uh, that was not as scary to me as what happened in the dark hours of Sunday morning when right. uh, a bunch of major uh, uh, big tech platforms moved to silence primarily conservative voices. Well, of course, uh, and I absolutely do not endorse violent activity, uh, just to start with the first point that you made. But it's telling that uh, they have characterized what went on in the Capitol as, uh, I guess, the worst thing since the Reichstag fire. Meanwhile, this whole summer, we literally watched cities actually burn. You know, I mean, we're not talking about a handful of papers being tossed on the floor. And, yeah, somebody was killed. How many people were killed in the riots? How many businesses were destroyed? How many urban cores were laid waste? But that was a peaceful protest. That right. was okay. And so you once again see this 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 cognitive dissonance, this hypocrisy um, of the left. Now, to get to the second part of your query, yeah, these these gigantic tech corporations and corporations generally are so woke now that uh, they are coming out of the closet and doing exactly what they were accused of but denied a few months ago. Remember when Facebook and Twitter and all these places were saying, oh, no, no, we don't, we don't censor content. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> they're not even attempting to deny that anymore. And it's become extraordinarily virulent, and I expect it to ramp up and kick up because the thing about the left is you're dealing with a fanatic ideology. These are not reasonable people who are motivated by, oh, we got a problem we have to fix. 
they want us to uh, to bend knee to their orthodoxies. They cannot abide and will not tolerate dissent. Dissent, as distinguished from any kind of violence, to them, dissent is violent in their worldview, and we have to be stopped, which is ironic because they're the ones that are guilty of the violence, not us. Yeah, there's some pretty classic projection going on there. Yep. I. I have heard, though, and um, I've only seen a couple of news stories, so I, you know, I take it with a grain of salt. I've heard that uh, within Silicon Valley, there's the equivalent of a civil war going on between many of those tech giants. There are a lot of uh, employees, for instance, looking for employment elsewhere because they don't like what they're being told to do. Well, I'm not surprised by that. I think any reasonable person, whether you happen to be uh, on the left side of the aisle or the right, should be alarmed by this because it can wheel around and bite you. When you start having French, Revolu- French Revolution-style uh, orthodoxy imposed, the next step really, literally may be guillotines, and it gets out of control very quickly. And what is acceptable uh, suddenly becomes not acceptable. In the French Revolution, a lot of the early revolutionaries ended up getting their heads lopped off because they weren't extreme enough, uh, or that they somehow fell afoul of whatever the latest orthodoxy is. So this is this is a profoundly un-American, anti-American trend where people can no longer bandy about ideas, talk about things. Everybody has to be silent and keep their head bowed for whatever the latest orthodoxy is that comes out of the, the telescreen. And that's appalling, and we need, to, we need to prevent this from, from congealing. And for people who might be tempted to say, oh, Eric, you're just exaggerating, I, I would offer as, as evidence of we are definitely, um, I would say, marching, we're goose-stepping in this direction right now, uh, two women removed from a flight yep. because they talked about Trump. They weren't, I mean, they weren't standing up holding banners and taunting other passengers. Yeah, you know, they were just simply talking about it. It was overheard. Somebody complained. The airline removed them from the flight as passengers jeered and, you know, cheered them being removed. I'm seeing where in, I think it's in mm-hmm. Jefferson, um, Jefferson County, West Virginia, the school board is working to terminate 30 teachers who attended yes. the rally at the Capitol. Yep, and locally in my area, the adjacent county is Rocky Mount, uh, and uh, two uh, two local cops who merely attended the event in D.C. last week. They're not they're not charged with anything. They're not suspected of anything. But merely they went there to show support for Trump. Uh, they've been suspended and are probably going to be fired. Wow. Things are changing very quickly. I mean, Eric, I, I'm not a pessimist, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I can honestly say. I've seen this coming. You've seen this coming. We mm-hmm. tried to sound the voice of warning, but the speed with which this is unfolding, it's leaving me pretty breathless. Well, this is what happens. Um, Lenin said that uh, oftentimes things don't change for decades, and then sometimes everything changes in a week. And he was quite correct. The, these, these events take a long time to percolate. There's magma under the crust. You know, it, 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 it builds up pressure, and then it just erupts and explodes. And this country has been in a kind of a slow-motion civil war for a long, long time uh, between the forces of authoritarian collectivism, primarily on the left, and the rest of the American public that you know, generally just wants to live what we might subsume under the general term the American way of life, you know, live and let live, do your thing, don't bother other people, earn an honest living, and just be peaceful. I mean, that's what most of us want. But there is a core element of, of, of committed radicals out there that want something very different and very dark. So um, I'm not a person who is, I, I, like you, I abhor violence. I believe that in self-defense it can be justified, but I have every sense that we are being pushed and pushed 
to violence. I don't see any way out of this that there isn't some kind of violence involved. Unfortunately, and I also dread this. I, you know, I, I use the term uh, to, to, to couch what I'm going to say next because I think it's important to say you know, we would do anything to avoid this other than submit to it. And I think this, this rabidized ideology that uh, looks like it's going to have an absolute lock on the entirety of the federal apparatus and already has a lock on many of the states in this country is not going to ease up and be reasonable having been empowered, having achieved a degree of power that it's never had before, or at least hasn't had in, in modern history and modern memory, that they're just going to sit back and not exploit the power that they have and the submission that they have managed to instill in a lot of people who are terrified now of saying anything because they're they're terrified they're going to lose their job because some woke person will find their tweet and show it to their boss and they'll be canned and they won't be able to uh, pay their bills and feed their families anymore. Well, and this this is another story I just saw breaking this morning, and that is uh, someone is claiming that... Uh Someone is claiming that, that people from the left, uh, because Parler has been taken down or their servers have been denied them, that uh, right now there are people very actively working to garner whatever information they can from Parler for the purpose of doxing those individuals Absolutely. who use it. Absolutely. It was just a few months ago that the narrative was uh, from you know people who we would complain about the fact that Twitter and Facebook and these, these other um, leftist tech companies were uh, restricting what could be said on their platforms. And the response, the official response from them was, well, or why don't you go ahead and just launch your own thing then, you know? Uh, and then that having been done and having become successful, all of a sudden that's a problem, and they're trying to, to shut that down now. Uh, so, yeah, you can see where it's going. I hope you can see. I hope people can understand what's going on. And I will say this is a, a kind of real-life lesson in both history and psychology. I remember when I was young and I was in high school and I would read about uh, Germany in the 30s um, before the war began. And I, I used to marvel as a kid, couldn't those people see, couldn't the Jews and other people who were sort of political heretics in that country see what was coming? I mean, they saw the guys marching around with their goose steps and their armbands, and they heard these violent speeches. Why didn't they leave when they could? Why didn't they do something when they could? And I think it's because of the human tendency to just believe, believe that, no, such things aren't possible, that that kind of insanity and barbarism won't actually come to pass. They're just talking. It's not really that big, big a deal. It's going to pass. That's a fatal mistake and we shouldn't make that same mistake. Agreed. We'll take a very quick break. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest, and we'll be back just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Once again, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. Eric, uh, we were talking in between the commercials here about, uh, you know, it's it's scary to see people being deplatformed. And I, I'm guessing you're probably aware of the announcement from Cumulus Media yesterday. Yeah. Did you mm -hmm. what did what was your thought about the directive where they were telling uh, they're they're a primarily, you know, a big talk show platform. Yep. And they're telling their hosts, if you question the narrative, if you maintain that there was anything wrong with this election, you better be ready to separate from this country or this company right. rather. 
Yeah, well, everything's become ideological now. As a journalist and who began his career before all of this arose, uh, the, the purpose of being a journalist and of, and of reporting the news was just that. You know, it wasn't about uh, being a propagandizer for a given narrative. You found out what the facts were, and you, you, know, you relayed the facts, and you let the audience decide what was what. And it was a point of honor among journalists to simply investigate, find out what the scoop was, provide information and analysis. That's what we did. Now, uh, it's as if the entire major media apparat has become kind of a, a Gobelsian propaganda apparat that's all about purveying uh, one ideology and suppressing anything that contradicts that ideology. It's uh, it's a nerve-wracking thing, and, and I've had a lot of people express concern to me in the last couple of days. Hey, hey, are you at risk? And to a degree, I am, but I'm also, you know, Eric, this is something I'm really grateful for. Um, on the one hand, I've kind of mourned the fact that, well, I'm on an independent platform that, uh, that I help to create, and, you know, that means I have, it, it's small. The audience is small but growing. Mm-hmm. But there is there I, the trade-off is I have some security that those who are working for more corporate, larger you know audiences, um, they have to be fitted for a corporate muzzle almost as a condition absolutely. of employment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I too am grateful for precisely the same reason. Uh, I didn't do it consciously, um, but I'm grateful that I did. I'm in control of my operation, and so nobody can tell me what to say or not to say. Now. This is a, a kind of a, a move toward the decentralization that you and I have talked about before that I think is a healthy palliative measure, a curative measure for uh, the problems that are besetting this country. Everything is too centralized. There are too many oligopolies that control everything and make it impossible for us as individuals to live as individuals, which includes being able to read and be able to speak and be able to say what's on our minds uh, without fear. So I think the more of these decentralized outlets that we can have, the better for everybody. It will give people more opportunity to see more points of view, to weigh those points of view, to look into it, see what the facts are, and then come to their own decision as opposed to being screamed at by these gigantic tech oligopolies and told what they must believe or else. Yep. And I know this. there's also opportunity that comes with this, and, and maybe this is going to sound opportunist. I apologize if I'm offending anybody, but... For people like you and me, um, right now there are a lot of folks who are looking for alternative sources of information. They, they recognize, okay, the mainstream stuff ain't going to cut it. So this, this is a very prime opportunity for people who wish to speak truth or who have, have created platforms to become relevant. Well, it is, and there's something else that I personally like about it. I didn't get into this to be uh, to, to make money primarily. Money is a nice thing. It's great to be able to pay your bills, but I'm not looking to get rich. For me, what matters uh, is staying true to my own voice and uh, talking about the things that I think are important, and I think that that's something that will appeal to people, and I think it's an opportunity for other people to do precisely the same thing. And wouldn't it be great if we had, I don't know, thousands if not tens of thousands of such voices out there and you had this array of choices that you could you could go through and pick out what sounds good to you or what you like or what makes sense instead of living in this kind of monolithic dead zone where everybody has to think the same, everybody has to say the same, and you better not say anything else. Oh, I completely agree. But that for some reason, that's scary to some people. And I, I don't know, maybe this is the the heated rhetoric that's being thrown around. I'd like to get your take on um, the, the political class's response, for instance, to the unrest at the Capitol last week. I mean, they're, Eric, they're treating this like this was something second only to the Holocaust. I'm hearing language very reminiscent mm-hmm. of never again, never again. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. What worries me the most is they're beginning to conflate mere dissent, just simply questioning the orthodoxies, whatever the orthodoxy happens to be, whether it's sickness kabuki and the wearing of the holy rag uh, or the election, just, you know, asking reasonable questions in a calm voice. Hey, what are the facts? They are now attempting to frame that as, quote unquote, domestic extremism. There are even, as I understand it, moves afoot in Congress to legislate this, which is a, which is which is luminously frightening to anybody who believes in free speech, freedom of conscience, uh, and all of those antiquarian things, because what it comes down to is they'll be able to send out the hut, hut, hut crew uh, if you voice an opinion that they can just say, well, you know, you're inciting insurrection, you're, you're promoting violence, which of course is nothing of the kind, just as, just as it's, 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 you're not spreading a disease you haven't got by refusing to wear the holy rag. All of these things are tied together. No, I completely agree. And and I think it was Ron Paul who was uh, at least briefly uh, facing deplatforming from Facebook yesterday yeah. uh, who pointed out, look, what they're doing is they're saying that you can't advocate for liberty without being accused of sedition. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up Ron Paul, because can you think of anybody who is less inclined to violence, the mo- or who is more mild mannered, calm and reasonable than Ron Paul? Nope. <laughs> I mean, he is, he is the very definition of, uh, of the gentle old grandfather and has been even before he became a grandfather. He's a, he's a kind, decent, uh, uh, just moderate man. And for them to, to characterize or to attempt to frame him as some sort of purveyor of hate gives you an idea of what they're going to end up doing to everybody else. Let's uh, let's talk for just a moment about uh, on the individual level. Obviously, there are some things that are just plainly out of your control and my control. Yep. But on the individual level, what would you consider uh, it to be wise for people to be focusing on at this point? Well, I think we, exactly as you say, we have no control really over what goes on in Washington, but we have a great deal of control over what goes on in our own lives and in uh, the orbit of our own lives. Uh, so to the extent that you can, don't participate in sickness kabuki. Don't wear the holy rag unless they make you. And even then, try to find ways around it. I would encourage everybody listening to this to consider uh, provisioning themselves, getting necessary supplies, um, just in case we need to hunker down for a little while in case things get bad. Get to know your neighbors. Get to know who lives yes. next door across the street. Get to know your local sheriff. It's worth the time and effort to drop in and say hi, talk to the man. Uh, make some kind of a personal connection. Uh, get involved in politics at the local level. Find out who's on the board of supervisors and who's uh, imposing the policies that your kids in school are going to have to live under. These things are things that we do have some degree of control over. I'm with you. We've got uh, we got about two minutes left here. Um, I want to shift gears for a moment. Uh, you had written recently about a shootout between electric cars, and it was a yeah. very disappointing shootout. Yeah. Talk to me about Mustang versus Tesla. Oh, it was well. It's, it, I call it the not Mustang because it isn't. <laughs> Ford has an electric car coming out, and it's an electric crossover, which means it's a four-door wagon. And they have had the the bad taste, in my opinion, to call it the Mustang Mach E. Oh man, uh, which is kind of like calling I don't know a, a soy burger a triple bacon cheeseburger, and it's not even <laughs> the same shape as that. So that analogy doesn't doesn't work. But anyway, they put this electric so-called not Mustang. Uh, up against uh, a Tesla Model Y, and the object wasn't so much to see how quickly they go through the quarter mile or zero to 60, but how uh, how far they could gimp before they had to stop uh, and 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 wait for their recharge. And the whole thing is like just a travel log on the the pathetic absurdity of the electric car and how inferior they are functionally and practically, uh, even to a $5,000 used internal combustion powered car. It's it's a pretty funny read. 
Okay. Now let's. We've got less than a minute left, but let's uh, direct mm-hmm. reader or direct our listeners to your website. Where can they find you? Sure. It's uh, epautos.com, and if you put my name into a DuckDuckGo or any other search engine, and I won't, rem- won't mention the evil one. Uh, I should I should come up. And by the way, I just joined Gab, and I recommend other people do the same. And my handle on Gab uh, is simply EP Autos. Okay, very. Good. I have not. I've, I've been. I've gone on MeWe. I've gone on Parlor. I'm just making mm-hmm. a note to myself. Time to look at Gab. Um, we, we may have to talk about that next week. But uh, Eric, thanks. Uh, thanks as always for taking the time to come and uh, spend some time with me and my audience. And. Um, well, stay safe. <laughs> I mean and it. <laughs> stay free, Brian. Stay free. Will do. Thanks again. You bet. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, charging forward. Looking for direction in a time of, well, (laughs) let's just say dark clouds gathering around us. Now, I do my best to look for the silver lining. And and believe it or not, there are some silver linings in spite of how crazy and, and unsettled things may seem. There are some silver linings. One of them, even though this may not sound like it at first blush, is that uh, the mask has slipped. I think a lot of people for the very first time, just in the last couple of weeks, have finally started to comprehend, hey, you know all those politicians who feign how concerned they are for me and how how much I'm just here to work for you and this is all about you and let me wrap myself in the flag. They really don't care. They work for somebody other than you. And they'll tell you what you need to hear in order to vote for them. They'll do whatever they need to do in order to keep the f- cash flowing, to keep their f- their uh, uh, campaigns financed. But they're actually some of the most amoral people on the face of the earth. And I know I'm painting with a broad brush. Sorry, there may be one or two good ones, but I'm, I'm dead serious when I say maybe one or two good ones. It's rare. It's like hen's teeth. So about that silver lining, Alan J. Levine, in, a, in an essay for intellectualtakeout.org, talks about the moral and intellectual collapse of America's political parties. Now, look, if you're, if you're a, a party member and you're somebody who's proud, I've been a Republican all my life or I've been a Democrat all my life, um, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I'm, I won't lie to you. I'm happy to see the political parties start to come apart. And, and the sooner they collapse into irrelevance, I think the happier a lot of us are going to be. Maybe I'm wrong, but I want you to hear out what Alan J. Levine points out here. He says, it's no longer news that 2020 saw a collapse of political discourse and public behavior in the United States. Trends that developed over many years intensified last year. One major political party had as its candidate for president a magnetic fig- figure who can be nasty and lacking in verbal self-control. The other party featured someone blander and more petulant who also lacks verbal restraint. 
Now, interestingly, he says there are clear differences between Donald Trump and Joe Biden in their politics and policies. But he says you can also note how alike these candidates were in their behavior. Both men regularly uttered statements that were obviously false or even dishonest. The mainstream news media, of course, covered for President-elect Biden, either ignoring his many unsettling or simply stupid statements or writing them off as innocent gaffes, a comfort not provided to President Trump. They assured us the man who told blacks the Republican Party was about to put them back in chains was going to restore civility to American politics. (laughs) We can be reasonably sure, he says, that civility is not going to be an achievement of the Biden presidency. Additionally, in 2020, both men and most prominent leaders of both parties showed little interest in maintaining public safety. That is one of the most basic duties of government. Trump and other Republicans, too many other Republicans, he says, were irresponsible in dealing with COVID. After a mostly slow and weak reaction to the pandemic, Trump seemed to work against the policies of his own administration, praising demonstrations against lockdowns, often refusing to wear a mask and holding dangerous public rallies. Now, much of Trump's rhetoric almost seemed designed to convince people they had more to fear from the president than from the Democrats' evident affection for criminals, race-baiting, and political fanaticism. Had Trump dealt with the only national crisis of his presidency in a more prudent manner, he likely would have remained in the White House. Now, to be sure, he was not alone at least among Republicans, in crafting a flawed response to the pandemic. By the way, I I just have to say, I don't hold it to government to, well, they should have solved this problem sooner. I think what they best should have done is stayed out of the way. But with that aside, let's continue. All too many behaved irresponsibly out of panic at the social and economic consequences of extended lockdowns. It's hard not to sympathize with the last group, but they were dangerously foolish. Meanwhile, the Democrats in 2020 did a remarkable job of defending or demonstrating rather their unfitness for any office higher than that of toilet cleaner. They chose an extremely old, feeble political hack for their presidential candidate, a man with a career spanning half a century devoid of any achievement. As his running mate, who is likely to replace him during his first term, they chose a political chameleon. For it's not clear whether Kamala Harris is, as her Senate voting record indicates, a far leftist, especially on social issues, or as her earlier career suggests, merely a spectacularly flexible opportunist. He says the Democrats and their friends in the media collaborated to concoct a fantastically distorted account of the violence that erupted last summer and indeed of the entirety of America's history. They performed the remarkable ideological feat of identifying the entire history of the United States with the pre-Civil War South or their slightly peculiar version thereof in which that society consisted solely of sadistic white slave owners and black slaves. Practically justifying the riots, Democratic politicians did their best to scapegoat and weaken the police at a time when crime in general, not to mention political violence, was rising sharply. They and their media friends were very effective at largely suppressing many important facts, notably the number of deaths in the riots and the true statistics of crime and police killings, all while making the hysterical behavior of a woman in a quarrel over a dog in Central Park a national issue. In an apparent effort to preserve the possibly erroneous image of the killing of George Floyd as a racial confrontation, The national media largely ignored the questions raised by the briefly noted point that Floyd and Derek Chauvin may well have known each other, and still more curious that Chauvin and his wife have been indicted for tax evasion. 
to what extent Democrat politicians were motivated by their tropism toward the left, the need to compete with the woke elements or rank opportunism, it remains uncertain. Probably all three tendencies played a part in their reprehensible behavior. It is important, however, to note that the irresponsible behavior of both parties in the crises of 2020 overlapped. Trump did not initially act quickly or resolutely against the riots, concentrating instead on personal posturing. When confronted by a reporter pointing out that blacks were killed by police at twice the rate of whites, given their proportion of the population, which is the only law enforcement statistic the left finds relevant, Trump lacked the courage or intelligence to bluntly point out that this was because blacks have a far higher crime rate. Nor were Democrats superior to Trump in matters related to the COVID-19 pandemic. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, in overseeing the original epicenter of the disease in the U.S., had to practically be dynamited into doing anything by his staff. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's disastrous blunder in forcing sick sick people into nursing homes should not be forgotten. His basic contempt for decency and the interests of the ordinary law-abiding majority has mostly been demonstrated by his prioritization of drug addicts over the elderly in terms of receiving COVID-19 vaccines. Biden, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and others attract Trump as a racist for one of his few sensible pandemic actions, stopping travel to and from China. Pelosi failed until the end of July to insist that Congress wear masks. There was general reluctance to condemn the violations of antivirus precautions by left-wing protesters, despite the eagerness to attack Trump, even to pretend that the president is responsible for all American COVID deaths. Now, seriously, there are people who believe this. Even the media have been unable to completely ignore the arrogance of many Democratic politicians in violating the lockdown guidelines preached to the rest of America. And of course, in many cases, they were forced to recognize such behavior by bystanders who took pictures of their hypocritical betters out there at restaurants and on vacation without masks on. By the way, that doesn't just limit itself to the left. Here in my home state of Utah, we saw on the political right, the governor and those who surround him, uh, doing very much the same thing. The article concludes by saying the far left and people influenced by the cultural trends of the last half century are not interested in reforming society or getting honest, competent leaders to replace the fools, maniacs, and liars currently running running things. What they really want, says Alan J. Levine, consciously or unconsciously is to destroy, not improve, a society they believe is too evil to be preserved. That's pretty harsh. But I agree with much of what he's saying there. See, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. I really am. If you had to, if I had to sum up, you know, how how I ex- what I expect of a free society with limited government, it would come down to this. Leave me and my stuff alone and I'll do the same for you. That seems pretty simple, right? Well, when we come back from the break, I'm going to share with you some excerpts from an essay that a friend sent me from Jack Donovan. Jack is the author of a book called The Way of Men, and it's it's a great book. I'm actually encouraging my boys to read this book just because I believe it offers some great insights into what it means to be a man. And I'm probably triggering some people right here and now, but I don't care. Um, this is the message, though, that uh, that Jack Donovan has. No matter how much you want to be left alone, they're not going to leave you alone. And he does a pretty good job of explaining the mindset that drives those who are determined to reshape our lives, our culture, and our freedoms in a manner of their choosing. 
We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Okay, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about... Let's talk about uh, what it means to be left alone. To be unmolested in living your life. To me, this is just a this is just an extension of the golden rule. You know, do unto others as you would have done unto you. I think the corollary to that is don't do to other people what you would not want someone doing to you. I mean, this just makes sense. I think it's a it's a tried and true principle. I think it works every time it's applied. But there are others who don't feel this way. Jack Donovan, the author of The Way of Men has a pretty interesting take on life. And some people, I don't know, I don't know what the, the critique would be. Uh, it's just a way to defend your fragile masculinity. That's, that seems to be a favorite battle cry for the uh, woke. You know, if you, if you, for some reason, push back or say, I can't get on board with it. Oh, is your male, fra- is your male uh, masculinity, is it so fragile you can't even, you know, handle a little push? <laughs> or maybe it's just that I just don't have, a, you know, much of a tolerance for nonsense. I mean, you know, it could be either one, I suppose. Here's how Jack puts it, though. He says, all of the best men I know, the good men who are good at being men, just want to be left alone. He says, the best men I know believe in individual freedom. They don't want to control other people. The best men in America and throughout the world want to be able to do what they want. And they want other people to be able to do what they want with their own bodies and resources. They don't want to be forced to do or say things they don't think are right. And they don't want to force other people to do or say things they don't think are right. These men understand the need for some consensus to maintain law and order and the protection of individual rights and property. But they are fundamentally anti-fascist and anti-totalitarian. For the most part, they want to mind their own business and they want to limit the power of the state. They want the state to pave the roads, protect property, provide basic services, and then mind its own business and stay out of people's personal and professional lives. Now, he says, though the name is tainted, these are liberal values. Americans led the way in opposing authoritarian regimes that ruled them from far away. They understood that freedom is not anarchy, but localized self-determination. They believed in the right of small groups to determine for themselves how they wanted to live. He says, I've always believed the people of San Francisco or Portland or Seattle have no business telling people in Alabama or even the small towns a hundred miles away from them what to do or how to live and vice versa. Frankly, he says, I don't think the people in Alabama or small towns across America care how San Francisco or Portland or Seattle, how their people live. They may mock them, but they're content to let San Franciscans be San Franciscans as long as San Franciscans mind their own business and leave them alone. But he says, unfortunately, if the events of 2020 have or should have taught us anything, it's this belief will not be reciprocated. Just as the conservatives of old seem to have been kept up at night by the idea that someone somewhere was having some kind of unapproved fun, the progressives in cities seem to be perpetually incensed by the thought that somewhere the people they hate who live in the backward places they never go to are failing to worship and affirm their own sacred cows. 
these urban progressives want to force people who they don't know or even like to do and say and profess the things that urban progressives believe, whether these country barbarians like it or not. He says they are tyrants motivated by a culture of resentment against the values held by people who live in the places that, in many cases, they abandoned for big city life. And these tyrants believe they are better educated and qualified to tell everyone else what they should believe and how they should live. They share a constantly evolving utopian vision, and like the communists and fascists of the 20th century, they're just not going to leave you alone. Their feel-good mottos proclaim that no one is free until everyone is free. But what they really mean is that they won't stop until everyone agrees with them, submits to their self-proclaimed authority, and acknowledges the expertise of their experts. That you won't be free until you agree. And if you have to agree to be free, well, then you were never free at all. I thought that was pretty uh, on target, And I know a lot of people who are right now looking for any way, some way, how can I stay free? Because it really feels like things are are clamping down. I feel it too. And I want to be free, just like you. But I want you to hear the caution that Jack Donovan offers here. He talks about how he recently drove through Goldendale, Washington, and watched a father who owned a small restaurant look sadly out the door of his closed restaurant, hoping for a to-go order. His family-operated restaurant used to be packed every Sunday, and it was the best place to eat in town. He had been making a decent living, and living free, in a small town in the middle of nowhere, four or five hours from Seattle or Olympia. Jack says, I'm sure he wanted nothing to do with all those cities or the people in them. I doubt his business will survive this year. It was, a sad, it was sad to see and a terrible injustice. He says, Goldendale, Washington's full of preppers and farmers and people living off-grid. I'm sure some of them are doing fine. But he says their community is being controlled and their businesses are being destroyed by people hundreds of miles away who don't care if they live or die or are forced into bankruptcy. They might as well be colonies ruled by foreign kings. His point is, you can move to a small town in the middle of nowhere and live off-grid if you want to, but the empire of nothing has made it clear that they're not going to leave you alone. In the long term, there's nowhere to run. Even now, they're controlling the technology that you use to communicate with each other and the outside world. You can find workarounds, but those workarounds are temporary fixes. The empire of nothing demands compliance and conformity. This was an interesting take too. He says a lot of men who want to a lot of men a lot of the men who want to escape to a cabin in the middle of nowhere idealize Thoreau's Walden. And while the cabin is out there, far from everything and almost everyone, he says it represents a passage inward, a quieting of the mind, of the din, of other voices. Life in the cabin is a meditation. Parts of Walden itself read like a mindfulness meditation script. When Thoreau muses on the songs of the whippoorwills or the sounds of passing trains, he's slowing down and paying attention. Now, Jack Donovan says, As social animals, we're continually reacting to the words and actions of other men and women, directing our attention outward. By tuning out other people and tuning into the simple sounds and sensations of being creatures who are alive in the world, we naturally turn our attention inward, and the faculties we use to assess others can be employed to analyze and better understand ourselves. He says this is a worthwhile exercise and worth doing as an exercise, as a retreat. 
because it is, it, is, it is a retreat not to but from a man's life. His point being too often men hide from life by seeking purity in nature. And one of the things he points out here is that Thoreau, many people forget, Thoreau only stayed in the cabin for a few years. He wrote, I left the woods for as good a reason as I went there. Perhaps it seemed to me that I had several more lives to live and could not spare any more time for that one. So by all means, plan a retreat to a little cabin in the middle of nowhere. Some time spent alone chopping wood or listening to the whooper wheels probably is going to be good for the soul, but it's not a long-term strategy. And Jack Donovan says, because as I've said, even there, they're not going to leave you alone. He says, a lot of the best men I know have escaped to the country, or they want to. However, in leaving the cities, we leave the centers of power and finance and culture creation and media to others. You left the money and the power and the control of culture and the dissemination of information in the hands of the worst men and women. What did you think was going to happen? We've allowed ourselves to be governed by people who hate us and and whose values, to the extent that they even have values, are completely incompatible with our own. Over several generations, we've willingly given up the reins of our chariots and abandoned the natural, natural work of men to create order and culture. What did you think was going to happen? I think his point is well taken here. We're moving through a difficult cycle right now. And he says men of every age have experienced hardships and dissolution. But it is and has always been the responsibility of men to create order in the midst of chaos. So to put it not too bluntly, he says this is our time. What's happening now is our responsibility. We can't just run away to the country and let the worst men and women run the world for us and expect things to turn out well. And even if we do, his point is they're not going to leave us alone. Now, if you're waiting for us, okay, what do we do about it? I don't have an answer for you. And thankfully, I think Jack Donovan wisely leaves that one open to you as well. I agree with him, though. As much as I would love to find some quiet little place, you know, far from where there's lots of angry people, I don't think that is the best use of my time, my talents, you know, what what I want to do to try to help make the world a better place. Yeah, it's harder to stay where the people are and to stay where there's risk. I think the best solution is just make up your mind. You're going to use your influence as wisely as possible wherever you're standing at the moment and go from there. This is The Brian Hyde Show.